I'm great. Everybody's great. Look at these smiling kids. What is a good background check? Now you're like, mm, not necessarily sure I want him around my children. Given fighting in the car. Like, exactly. And now, the safety zone. Welcome, Mike, to another episode of The Safety Zone. Today's subject's kind of one near and dear to my heart because it's talking about churches specifically. And in some ways, you don't associate churches with safety protocols in the sense of like background checks and those kinds of precautions. And yet, so many times, especially in our culture today, sadly enough, we're hearing of youth leaders committing crimes against kids. We're hearing even some pastors, associate pastors. And it seems like there's a lot of misconceptions among churches and in terms of what a background check is, why in the world do I need to do that? And you know, there's background checks that don't do anything that really aren't giving them the information they need. So so I think it's a, a, a real good topic for our time and era to, to really dive into on just the safety of our families at church and the safety of the church and what they are there to do. Um, so why don't we dive in and you can okay. talk to us a little bit about why background checks for churches? Why do that? Thanks, Melinda. I think there's a bit of naivete, and there was, especially when I started safe hiring 15 plus years ago, quite honestly, the majority of organizations, not just non-for-profit church ministry, probably 50% or less of the organizations were actually conducting background checks. And so that's increased exponentially over the last 15 years. However, in the non-for-profit church ministry world, where we have almost 4,000 clients, we hear a lot from communities, uh, smaller communities sometimes, where they believe that they know everybody in their church. And I think this kind of yes. foundationally, we have to understand that as a former violent crime detective, people who perpetrate horrific crimes don't always come across as horrific when you meet them. And I cannot tell you how many times I would sit in an interview room interrogating somebody who I was about to charge with a extraordinarily heinous crime and how your mind can go a couple different places when you're carrying on a conversation. And I would many times sit there and look at this person, look at their eyes, look at their hands, wonder how could they have committed that crime? Even being raised with a dad who was a police officer and a mother who worked in a prosecutor's office, I probably still bought into some of these cultural myths that scary people look a certain way. Yes. Yes. But even looking at some of the serial killers, the Ted Bundys, when you go back in time, mm -hmm. these are individuals that you wouldn't cross the street to avoid them because yeah. they don't look frightening. Yet they, we go no, ahead. I was say, and they have a certain charm. Oh, yeah. Them. Like Bundy was actually a very charming man, according to a lot of the people that knew him. And, and I intelligent. think that often intelligent charming, um, sometimes just a very, almost a warm feeling, like you said, not the vibes of <laughs> stay clear, you know, this person gives me the, the jitters, that kind of a thing. Right. 
Yeah, the whole idea that we socialize our children to be scared of the boogeyman when in fact it's somebody close to them, somebody they least suspect that more than likely may harm them. And I mentioned, I think, in our initial podcast about an incident in our church when I was young and what impact it had on me and an elder in our church. He was also a school teacher. So Mm. check off two boxes here of somebody who would never commit crimes Mm -hmm. where he was actually sexually molesting his daughter, who was a young teenager. So the importance of background checks, we don't know everybody in our community. I've been shocked by many people. And I grew up in a community of like 600 people. I did not come from a large metropolitan area. In theory, we thought we knew everybody in this community. And over my lifetime, I've been surprised at what I've learned, how many of these guys end up going to prison for things they have done as adults, and I went to school with them. So I think we have to be extraordinarily cautious thinking that we know who people are, because we all put on a certain persona when we go to church. And believe me, I've had, you know, the devil works in mysterious ways and he'll try to keep us from church every Sunday. And I've got five kids and getting them out the door. I've probably threatened their life a time or two pulling into the church parking lot. And then what happens? You walk into church and how are you? I'm great. Everybody's great. Look at these smiling kids. And they're fighting in the car. Exactly. But I think, number one, we just have to recognize not only do we not know really everybody that's inside our church and ministry, we're also a very transient society, even more so than we were 15 years ago when I started safe hiring. We travel, and now we can travel through the internet and video conference, which I know is a topic we're going to discuss in a future podcast. Yes, yes. People could commit crimes outside of where they live and work very easily these days. And without doing adequate background checks, they're going to be completely undetected. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting you say that about the the transient. And I I think it depends on where you are. I mean, I used to hail from Southern California and everybody, for the most part. I would drive 30 minutes to to go to church, which was no big deal. That was normal for Southern California because I wanted to go to my particular church. But that is different in different areas. When I moved to uh, the New England area, here it was like people were amazed if I drove 10 minutes to the next town (laughs) to go to church Mm -hmm. versus the church right there in your neighborhood. And with that In areas like that, um, even though it's, of course, interwoven as more people move in that aren't from that area, but I have found that being in a situation like that and at a church that was like family, which was wonderful, but everybody knew everybody. Families that had been at this church for 20 years, and they had influx of new people, and it caused a church split on background check because the leadership was adamant not to do them. They felt everybody that's working, volunteering with the kids, oh, we've known him. He's been here for 15 years, or they've been, the family has been here for 20 years, and that that's showing we don't trust them. And there's a certain aspect of that in churches and ministries of the issue of, of trust, the issue of thinking the best of somebody versus the worst. 
you know, how do you address that? Because I, I have seen that in certain areas in our country, especially. You don't want to be the path of least resistance. And I tell potential clients this all the time, not just church and ministries, those that abuse children, sex offenders, they are very, very good at what they do. They're master manipulators. They're they think, they're cunning, they drive through policies, they look for that one organization that puts the most minimal roadblock in front of them. What is the smallest barrier to get over to be able to access children? Do you want to be that organization? So I think sometimes we get the conversation backwards. It's not about me not trusting you, Melinda, that you want to volunteer in our church. Mm -hmm. 90 some percent of our volunteers are going to have nothing in their criminal background history. You might have five or 6% that have something, but it's not something that's going to preclude them from volunteering. You know, made a little mistake earlier in life. They got a DUI, they got a public intox, something they've learned a lesson from. What we're looking at is a really small number mm -hmm. and what background checks are for is to try and prevent that person who's looking for the path of least resistance of being able to access our organization. Because the other side of that is as a church and ministry, biblically, I've got a duty. I've got a moral obligation. I've got a yes. biblical obligation to protect children. If you can't read the gospels and understand who, mm -hmm. you know, when Jesus is talking about protecting children mm -hmm. and children come up a lot, we have an obligation to protect them. And it, it's not only the discussion about whether we should do them, but it leads right into, we've got to do them correctly. And for 15 years, I feel mm -hmm. like I have been preaching this and it's almost falling on deaf ears a lot of times because there is a right way of doing background checks and just simply doing a background check alone is not enough. There is no standard definition of what a background check is. It is the Wild West. Uh, it's not a, just a Google search, right? <laughs> no. And, and on the employment side, okay, so if I'm going to do a background check, let's say on a pastor, then I have some obligations under federal law under what is called the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Even though I'm not doing a credit check, background screening, consumer information falls under this FCRA. And so I have obligations, simply how I handle the information, not the level of background check that I do. I can do the worst background check available and still comply with the FCRA. Now, I may put mm -hmm. myself in a strange position if we miss something and then somebody gets hurt. But when it comes to volunteers, there is really no standard of care. I have spoken about this. I have written about this. I, we do webinars about this. You can do this research on your own. You don't have to look and say, hey, Mike McCarty said this. Is this true or false? You can do this research. One screening firm might define a background check as a simple instant database search. Mm -hmm. Another might define it a different way. And so really even understanding how do you put a background check together? What is a... Yes good background check. Yes. I think most people wouldn't know, and especially a church. I mean, that's not their forte per se, unless they have someone on staff that's knowledgeable. So what is a good background check? What should a church be looking for when they are wanting to do a background yep. check? 
Well, you have to have some checks and balances. A lot of people, and I'll be honest, a lot of our political leadership in this country at the state level and the federal level, they believe in background checks that if we give you access to the FBI, which is their CGIS or the FBI background check database, that is the most robust background check on the planet. If we run your fingerprint through that, we'll know everything about you. Baloney. Absolutely untrue. Research has proven over and over again that even the FBI database in many cases is less comprehensive than some of the privately held databases that are mm. put together by private companies because there's a whole myriad of issues that cause this. The states are not sending the information in. But the bottom line is no single source database is enough. And a lot of church ministries, and I can tell you that we've researched and audited medium to larger churches, mm -hmm. and invariably we see a lot of the medium to larger churches using these instant type searches. And, and yeah. they may not even realize that's what they're doing because some of the firms that operate, some of the background screening firms that operate in this space, they'll use very slick marketing. And they may say something like, we'll run it through this national criminal database. And if there's a record, we'll go to the county and we'll confirm it. Well, mm -hmm. the problem is if the county I live in is not reporting to the database, I'm never going to find anything that needs to be confirmed. And so you've got to put together a program that uses multiple sources. And mm. too often what we see is them trying to use a single source. It's cheap, it's fast, right. and it's a big moneymaker for background screening firms because you, spit, you put the information in, we'll spit back the information to you, and I don't have to hire huge numbers of people to process your report. So first look at what are you doing? We've got a guide, the 10 things churches need to know before hiring a background screening firm that's available on our website. Walk through it. You can do a self audit. And if you have concerns, then take the guide and start researching how do you do this correctly. So it's interesting you're saying about a single source. Couldn't that also refer to where it's checking the state that you're in? But what about somebody that's come in and maybe it's been five years or three years or that they've been at the church, but they are coming in from another state. What about records there? A single source, it doesn't do that, right? It doesn't cross over into different geographies. Very likely may not. That's exactly right. So one of the issues with single source, if you're using only a statewide repository and every state has a repository of criminal records and we've got a whole research tool. We didn't develop this. It comes from a company that studies public records. And so each time they update that, we look at it, but rarely do these statewide repositories have anywhere close to 100% of the criminal records in that particular state. But let's make an assumption that you're in North Carolina and North Carolina does. Guess what? It's only North Carolina. What's the mm. likelihood that a staff member or volunteers never been outside of North Carolina. Very low. And when you start talking about more serious offenders, some of them, depending on their kind of classification or personality type, may operate closer to home if they have less, less self-confidence. 
But, you know, we mentioned mm-hmm. Ted Bundy right out of the gate because that's somebody most people are familiar with. He operated long distances away from home. Mm-hmm. And so some of these more mature criminals may leave those geographical areas where they live to commit the crimes. And so if I'm only doing a search locally, I may miss some of this information. Just the, I don't want to say profile, um, of what you picture. I think sometimes it's hard in church, especially when you've known people. It's a great family. The family's been great. And you can have a family where they have adult kids that are going and you may know the, the parents really well, but you just assume it's that part of that family, you know, unit. And yet, isn't it often the case, like in the cases we've seen with youth leaders, especially they're like what you had said about the boogeyman, you know, and not uh, appearing like the scary person, but a lot of times they are a married or a family man or family person. And we don't, I think we sometimes assume that that's a safe area versus, and I'm not saying this to, to, make anyone sound bad. But for some reason, I think when it's a single person, we look at it differently than, oh, he's married or, or they're married and they have kids. And you know, there's a certain perception there within, especially within ministry that I think sometimes we need to address. Yeah. Those false perceptions. And to think that some of these sophisticated offenders don't understand those cultural myths like if I'm operating on my own, I'm 50 years old, I live by myself, or I still live with my mom. Yeah, now you're like, mm, not necessarily sure I want him around my children. There's just intuitive things that start to happen. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden I see, oh, he's married. He has children. And now it more normalizes this person and they're less frightening. I'll be honest with you. You know, I've mentioned this a million times during this pandemic that anytime my daughter has to get on a Zoom conference for school, I park her right outside my office with the door open so I can listen. I'm much more in tune to those teachers that she likes, she admires, she's impressed by because they have a lot of influence over her. And, you know, children can be extraordinarily gullible to these offenders. And so, yeah, exactly. Understanding, trusting. trusting. Which exactly. we're, we're taught to trust, to respect your elders. And, but, and especially, I think, in the faith-based space, church space, even more so. You trust your pastor. I'm not saying you shouldn't trust your pastor, but I mean, it's for, for kids especially. They're going to trust that Sunday school teacher, the, the teens and preteens. They're going to trust that youth leader. And there is a, a very different dynamic. Same with the schools, like you said, teacher that they really admire. There's a real trust portion in that. And I think it's, it's understanding that balance and why you have to be so careful on who you place in those positions and not assume, right? Not assume that they look rosy on the outside. And again, like you said, 90% of them probably you know, are fine. But in that case, I think just for pastors that that struggle with doing a background check is just understanding the responsibility of that leadership. And it's not being offensive. I know if I was asked to take a background check, I wouldn't be offended at all. And I think sometimes we assume people will be offended. And if they are, I, I, why? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's. I think there's two categories that 
individuals fit into when they're offended. One category is potentially they may have something to hide. And so it's a play to see if they can avoid, circumvent, get around a background screening process. I cannot tell you how many times over the years we have received feedback from an individual who said they were disgruntled because of something we reported in a background check and they were not upset with what was in the background check because it was accurate criminal history. They were upset because it had not shown up in previous background checks. Ah. And I said, that's almost a case study we need to put on our website. And so they thought because it had not shown up in the past that it would no longer show up. And it was just an indication of what poor quality background checks. The other group that I think can be offended is people who think they are above this. And this goes to a a lot how pastors frame, and we just went through this at our church, and we're a smaller church, you know, Mm -hmm. 300, and I really walked through step by step, you know, with our pastor, helping him frame the conversation, why we're doing this, why we're going to this additional level, and the importance of this, and it's not optional. If you don't agree, you don't have to volunteer, but we are called to do this. But I hear over and over again, you'll have church members that might say, well, I'm a teacher. I have a background check through fingerprints, or I work for child services, or I'm with the FBI or the Secret Service. That's awesome. That is awesome. Here's the problem. I can't validate any of that. And quite honestly, I've arrested many police officers when I was a detective. Probably the least enjoyable part of my job was Mm. to dig in and investigate somebody I worked with because Mm. they were a criminal, not a cop. So to think any profession is immune from doing things wrong, untrue. And so when people think they are above it, frame the conversation correctly. The policy is everybody has this. I agree, Mike, that you're a police officer. I understand that. But if I start letting you circumvent the policy, then I have to open the door for teachers and child protective services. And even in those other areas, mm-hmm. education and child protection, maybe they do have a fingerprint background check. I'm telling you, we work with thousands of schools across the country. Many states require them to have one background check and maybe no recurring background checks. So we did a a new policy shift for a a large school district, suburban school district. They had almost a thousand employees. And when we rescreened their employees, 34 of them had criminal histories, eight of them had felony records, and they ended up having to terminate six or seven of their current employees. And without a background Mm. check, they would have had no idea. So if they would have asked, hey, Melinda, can, can I circumvent the background check because I'm a teacher? If it was one of them and you said yes, then you just open your door. So I understand, but it's much easier to say, I have a standard of care. I have to treat everybody the same. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that you are a secret service agent and provide protection for the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. However, everybody needs to be treated the same. I walk into schools every day that run our screening systems, our visitor management. I could easily say, I don't need to do this. I own the company. What do I do? I pull out my driver's license and let them scan it every single time. I'm not above the process. That is their process and policy. 
Exactly. And I think in the church atmosphere, especially, it's being humble. It's it's yeah. doing the right thing. It's If you haven't done anything or there's nothing in your history to begin with, you shouldn't be offended. It's about protecting the children, but first and foremost, but it's it's also about protecting the church. It's also far deeper than that. We've seen in the past decade, we've seen horrible situations within denominations. We've seen horrible situations, and I won't mention names, but I mean, just mega churches that everybody knows that have the pastor, it's been there 30 years, and all of a sudden there's assault charges, there's things that come to light. And and honestly, unfortunately, I don't think as the church that they've been handled well. I think a lot of times it's either we can't believe it, you know, we're so stunned, and we don't, or you blame the victim or however they may go. But I think it's just the understanding of that balance of this isn't something that occurs out there, out in, in our culture. It occurs within as well. And so taking those steps is is protecting so many aspects. It's protecting your ministry. It's protecting the mission that God has given you, any any nonprofit, because we've seen what happens. Churches fall apart when something happens. They lose that mission. Their credibility is gone. And, and so to take those precautions and to do what's right and try to prevent, you know, Mike, you're an expert on prevention and this is a big chunk of prevention. And I've had this private conversation as an elder. And before we moved, I helped plan a church, was on the elder board. And this was a source of discussion. And I can remember sitting there as we were making some decisions. And I said to our senior pastor in the elder board, I said, I will stay in a church a long time and listen to boring sermons if my children are being well cared for and fed. One thing happens to a child in the back end and these doors are going to fly open and you're going to lose 50 or 60% of your congregation. If I don't feel safe dropping my children off, I will never come back. And it takes one incident of something happening. Not only will it damage the church and the ministry, but it's also going to damage that child yes. potentially for the rest of their life. Exactly. It's going to impact them. The bottom line is obviously we we're being in the faith, we have a heart for the church. You have a heart for the church and there's precautions. You can't control everything, but there are things that, that a church can do and a ministry can do, a nonprofit that works with volunteers and in their community. There are things that they can do to try to prevent people from being hurt or people from being taken advantage of, etc. And not to do that is mm -hmm. not doing the responsibility that we have because we want them to thrive. We want their mission to thrive. We want the church to thrive and the witness that they're doing. And so if it's the background check and, and doing a quality background check, one that, that actually, as you said, actually can bring in and show information that's needed to, to the vast array of things that, of course, we're not talking about today, but just in what you do and protecting a church and their buildings, different aspects of keeping people safe. Of course, without destroying the trust and community 
mm -hmm. you do have in church. It is important to have that, but not to the exclusion, right, of right. not taking those precautions. Well, and I think another critical piece here to understand is a lot of church and ministries are really looking for guidance, but a lot of kind of para-ministry organizations that may provide services to churches, they don't understand background checks mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. And we've personally audited many of these because they publicly put the information on their website and they're providing a service to a church or ministry and they, they do not know what they are promoting. And not only from a liability perspective, they're promoting something that stands no chance against these sex offenders. And really, when we think in terms of the one group, everybody's aligned to make sure we do not allow them to have access. The tools that they're promoting are not going to be adequate in defense. Uh, the sex offenders are much, much more likely to circumvent those type of background screenings. And I say that because they're using cheap instant database searches. They're only getting a percentage of criminal records. They may not even be using tools to identify the volunteers. And that is critical because if I don't identify you other than you just say, hey, my name's Melinda. Okay, how do I know that? Even if you show me your driver's license, it doesn't yeah. tell me what other names you may have been known by. Oh, I've got to use a tool to be able to say, this is Melinda's name, there's other names she's been known by. You mentioned earlier, how do we know they haven't lived in other jurisdictions? Well, we use a tool that uncovers not only your names and other names, but address histories of where you've lived, which then feeds into how do you conduct the background check? Yeah. And so you've got to be using these tools. We're constantly innovating products. And the idea of just simply doing a background check is not enough. And I think some churches are starting to recognize, okay, maybe I need to do this every two or three years. Well, we've gone out and integrated with about 90% of the booking institutions or jails across the United States and created a tool by which a church or ministry for as little as a dollar twenty-five a year per volunteer can actually get a real-time alert if they get arrested anywhere in the United States. So now mm. it saves the church sometimes tens of thousands of dollars in expensive background checks. And I have real-time, all-the-time information if something changes in that status. Exactly. That's fascinating in of itself. I think what's a little sad to me is that you do have groups that are reaching out to ministries for background checks or various aspects of that. And like you said, they're not really a right product. They're not really going to do the job. And that's why it seems like it's so important for whether it's the executive pastor or the administrative pastor, they really need to know what to look for. There is an education there because unfortunately, like everything, right? Again, the church isn't exempt from any of this. There's gonna, there are people that, like you said, they don't have an understanding. So they don't even understand that, well, this background check does this. They don't understand the breadth of what it doesn't do. You mentioned the, that you have a white paper on the 10 things that 10 topics that churches should look for. And I think that's really vital for them so that they don't just assume they see this 
parachurch group or they see something that's geared to churches and it seems like a great deal. So they know that maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. Um, how do they get this, this white paper? How can churches go and, and at least read that and get a little educated yep. and know? Yeah, they can go to safehiringsolutions.com and I believe it's under our resources, white papers and download it and read through the guide. It's just, that's exactly what it is. It's a document to guide them through a process of either, either doing a self audit of their mm -hmm. current policy or understanding kind of what a policy should look like. And kind of the last thing that I'll place here, and it'll address this in the white paper is we've spent most of this podcast talking about criminal history. Well, we also have to address the fact that as a former violent crime detective, I will tell you the research is really obvious and direct. 80% of sex offenders in the United States do not have a criminal history. And people go, what? No criminal history as a sex offender? No, they're very good. They do this sometimes for a long period of times before they're ever uncovered or ever get caught. caught, so, right. Right. And so all of a sudden, if I'm going to throw it any kind of criminal background check, but especially if I'm throwing just these low-level checks at this particular problem that I'm trying to solve, how do I protect my kids? I've got to be doing something more than a criminal background check. And so reference checks are critical mm. and churches say, well, man, how do I have, I don't have the labor to have a full-time team of volunteers calling three to four references on every one of our 100, 200, 5,000, one of our largest organizations in ministry has 20,000 volunteers. Mm. And we converted them to a tool we have, which is an automated software that's text-based that can do reference checks. And so not only does it kind of close a gap and provide another tool that may uncover inappropriate behaviors that have not turned criminal, it can also be done as an automated software function so it doesn't require a whole staff or team. And it also can be anonymous so that if I provide feedback, I'm not going to be labeled as the person who said, mm, you may not want to let that person volunteer. I saw him acting inappropriately with young girls or behaviors that you're not going to find any other way. And I would say the vast majority of churches, and again, we work with thousands of them, the vast majority are doing nothing outside of a criminal history check. Mm. Not enough. It's interesting you say that before we close that on the references, even on that, are you wanting references that are within that same church community, family references? Are there good references versus, I don't want to say bad references, but how, even on that aspect, it's like, is there a protocol to what yep. kinds of references? I always say everybody has three PAT references, right? You're used to filling out an application and you go, okay, I'm going to put down Tom, John, and Susie because I've already told Tom, John, and Susie, hey, somebody's going to call you and say really nice things about me. Exactly. I never go, I'm, yeah, I don't go, hey, I'm going to put Tom and John and then, hey, I'm going to put Bill on here because he hates me and he's going to say mean things about me, right? So how RefLink works is when we set it up, 
we actually help you work through a process of defining different categories. And so it may be peers, it may be other church or ministry supervisors, it may be coworkers or supervisors at work. You can define how many and what type. And then one of the features we're getting ready to add is somebody providing feedback, when they complete that, it will actually give them a pop-up that says, hey, is there anybody else you think should provide feedback on this candidate? Mm. So now I might be filling it out and think, you know, I don't know anything specifically. However, I heard Melinda tell me one time that he really makes her feel awkward and Mm. sometimes he does this behavior or that behavior. Mm. Maybe I'm going to forward this on to Melinda who may provide some background um, in a reference. And so there are different insights. So there's ways to construct the reference check so that it does get to the heart of, and, and increase the number. That's what we tell employment and volunteer groups both. Increase the number. If I usually ask for three, ask for five. Now I really stretch the candidate to come up with one or two additional references quickly and they're going to be less likely to have been prepped to provide some kind of positive feedback. Yes. That's fascinating when you think about the difference in the references. And like you said, you have your pat ones and and yet different people that know you have had different interchanges in their uh, relationship with, with that person. And so being able to do that, I mean, what a fantastic system to, to help churches because that would be overwhelming to have to do all yep. of that so and Mike, cheap i'll leave it at that it's uh, cheap that's so the key see it isn't it nice though that something can have quality and not be necessarily yeah. we always assume that if something's really expensive it's high quality and if something is really cheap it's not and you've given us tools to know what to look for versus pricing and not always assuming that the pricing dictates the quality of the matter. So Mike, thank you. What a wealth of knowledge. And I do encourage people to go to safehiringsolutions.com and look up the resources. If you're a church, parachurch ministry or a nonprofit faith-based group or not faith-based group, but a nonprofit, you can go to safehiringsolutions.com and you can go, they have uh, different tentacles of like safe volunteer, safe ministry. If you are a ministry, I highly recommend that you go to that particular site on Safe Iron Solutions because it really gives you a wealth of information of what you need to do to, to keep your people safe and to keep the kids safe and also to keep your church safe and for people to thrive. So Mike, thank you for another informative session and we look forward to our next one and and more enlightening things and and just encouraging people too that sometimes the subject matters can be difficult but understanding like you said that vast majority is not what we're looking at most people of course are are wonderful and good people but we have to take those precautions then it's far far better to take the precautions and do what's right on the front side so you aren't facing a crisis on the other side. So thank you, Mike. Thank you. Have a good day. This podcast was sponsored by Safe Hiring Solutions. See us at safehiringsolutions.com.